desperately needs heart-based leaders with extraordinarily high emotional intelligence. If you know you're called to make a difference right where you are, then I think this podcast is for you. Welcome to the High Road to Leadership. It's I'm hoping it's your season to find fresh strength for the journey because the high road sometimes feels lonely. If you're in a process of leadership develop, development, uh, no matter where you are in your journey, sometimes you just need good company. And that's what I want to offer you, the opportunity to link arms with others who are developing and sustaining strength of character, as well as acquiring effective strategies to pave the way for others. I'm your host, Beverly Lewis, a fellow traveler on the way. Yes, I am an executive trainer and a speaker. I'm an author. I'm a business coach. I do a lot of things to help people communicate better, create better cultures, increase emotional intelligence. But the bottom line is I'm a fellow traveler on the way. And today I want to talk to you about ways to be happier at work specifically seven ways, though there are many more than seven. And I have to laugh and tell you the truth that I had this scheduled to record at a different time, but I wasn't feeling very happy because I had a very difficult conversation uh, on my schedule. And I was kind of in my mind going over that and thinking about possible outcomes and I wasn't feeling particularly cheerful or joyful. And I think that that is a reality of part of work. You know, there's that saying that we've all heard that find something you love to do and you'll never work another day in your life. Mm, I don't think I can agree with that because no matter how much you love what you do, there are difficult days, there are difficult weeks. Sometimes there's difficult months and pressing through. Uh, I think I do believe I put out a message of last year's episodes called the way uh, the way through is through. You can't go around over under. You just got to go through it sometimes. And that's so, you know, we're not going to be happy in our work at all, all the time, but The fact is the average person spends 90,000 hours at work over their lifetime. Most of us spend more time at work than we do at home on a weekly basis. So is it unreasonable to expect to be happy and to make those hours happy ones? I think that's a reasonable expectation for a lot of reasons. Positive emotions invigorate people. Thus, there's a lot of research that indicates that a happier workforce will produce more. But there's a more important reason than high productivity. There's also our health. A a healthy work culture, a happy work culture, produces people who aren't taking a lot of time for sick leave. They're there. Of course, that's probably the reason it's also more productive because people are showing up and they feel well. But there's another fact that purpose and fulfillment are the new success indicators for the current generation. Things have changed and people want to feel a sense of purpose and fulfillment in what they're doing in their lives. And so much of what we're doing in our lives is going to work. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, 
The reality is that there are two major factors that influence how happy we are at work. One of them is the organizational culture. Some people call it the organizational ecosystem. And the ecosystem needs to be healthy. And then there's certainly individual mindset. And that's where so much of happiness at work becomes a choice of the individual. Research does show that employees who are happiest at work are more efficient and that they take, I mentioned, less sick leave, specifically a tenth of the sick leave that their less happy colleagues do. They also display a higher level of loyalty, and so they tend to tend to stay for longer periods. It, it reduces attrition in an organization. I know as I listen to these statistics, as I read these statistics, as I gather the information, of course, I want to jump right to the answer and think, okay, we know that it's a benefit for people to be happy at work. How do you do that? How do you create that atmosphere? But let's just talk for a few more minutes about all of the reasons why it's so important. And then I'll jump into how, how my suggestions on how to get there. It's, it, it's very interesting that doctors, dentists, armed forces, teachers, people in the leisure and tourism industry, and journalists are the six happiest graduate jobs, while the least happy are social workers, civil servants, estate agents, secretaries, and administrators. On the other hand, social workers, nurses, medical doctors, and psychiatrists are tending toward more substance abuse and mental health problems. So there's a there's some conflicting research, but there's some interesting research. And actually, that research about addict, addictive behaviors in medical doctors, nurses, and, and healthcare professionals, that was done before the pandemic. And so you have to wonder how much that problem has escalated and we know that it has, uh, with the with the high stress environment of the dealing with the pandemic. In reality, work, just like any other part of our life, is is likely to make us feel a, a whole wide range of emotions. And as I've already mentioned, none of us are going to like everything about our work. But on the other hand. If your job feels depressing, if you feel a sense of meaninglessness and hopelessness when you go to work, mm, that's not that's something to address and pretending otherwise can just sometimes make it worse. So I'm not talking about just putting on a happy face and whistling while you work. That's not the answer. In fact, I'll tell you a personal story. I've, I've no, owned a number of businesses over the years, and quite a number of years ago, I started a business. Interestingly enough, it was a wellness company, and I, I was the executive director, and after a number of months, it was, I guess, about a year into that business, I was feeling more stress than I had ever felt in my life. I felt a lot of pressure. I felt a lot of stress. And one day I woke up and realized that I 
couldn't even remember the last time I laughed. And for me, laughter is kind of a built-in part of my life. I, I like to think that I'm a happiness carrier, but I distinctly recognized that my laughter and the sense of fun had left my life. And it was my own business. I couldn't blame it on an employer. I couldn't blame it on a mean boss unless I was the one being hardest on myself. And yeah, sometimes that's a problem. So what did I do about it? I actually made a change. I realized I it was silly for me to, to fail to see my choices. And actually, we do know that really stressed out people tend to get tunnel vision and fail to see their options and choices. But I teach that stuff. So I wasn't about to fall into that trap. And I made a major change. It wasn't easy, but I was really glad that I recognized it and went through it. Pushed through the hard stuff to make a change, make things better. So what is happiness? Oh my goodness, this is about as hard to define as defining success. It's a very personal thing. But I do like this particular definition from a guy named Matthew Ricard. He said that happiness is a deep sense of flourishing that arises from an exceptionally healthy mind. It's not a mere pleasurable feeling, a fleeting emotion. It's not a mood, but it is an optimal state of being. Wow, that's something to aspire to, isn't it? And I like that because I feel that sometimes people say that happiness is selfish, that it isn't realistic, that it puts a lot of pressure on people to think that they have to have a pursuit of happiness. But I think that it it it's an inside it, it's an inside job. It's not selfish. It in fact I like the statement that happiness is a form of courage. And I believe that it is. Because some of the happiest people I know, they're always improving themselves. It's not necessarily that they have the best of everything, but they're looking forward. They're looking ahead and they're focused on improving themselves. Whereas unpeople, unhappy people are so often busy looking at everybody else and judging other people that no wonder they're unhappy because you can't control other people. You can control your own choices. You can, you can manage your own moods. And, and again, not that they should all be good. However, I like to be a carrier. And I want to ask you this question right now, as you listen to this, as you're sitting here thinking about your own level of happiness, if you had to rate your happiness on a scale of one to 10, let's make it specific right now to your work. And if I, if I was sitting across the table from you and said, okay, scale of one to 10, 10 is over the top happy. You just feel just really satisfied, you feel healthy, flourishing, even joyful most of the time, and you like going to work, I'd say that's a 10. One, if you're if you're just depressed to get up and go to work on Monday mornings consistently, if you feel depressed at work, if you're dealing with things like substance abuse or you know mental health problems, that's a one. It's time to make a change. Where are you? 
Are you waiting for something external to change so you can be happy? I do think that there's a difference between joy and happiness. Many of you have uh, looked at or read at uh, looked at or read Brene Brown's latest book called Atlas of the Heart. And I looked up joy and happiness in there to see what she had to say about them. I admire her a lot. And Brene describes joy as the good mood of the soul. Researcher Matthew Kwan Johnson articulates that when experiencing joy, we don't lose ourselves. We become more truly ourselves. Brene also writes in her book that one thing that makes her unhappy is that there's no consensus in research when it comes to defining happiness. I happen to love this verse that says, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Indeed. You know, a lot of people go through life thinking, if I can just achieve X, Y, or Z, I then I will be happy. If I can get that job that I've had my eye on for the last decade, then I'll be happy. If I can get that raise and promotion and my income goes into the six-figure level, then I'll be happy. If I can finish my degree, then I'll be happy. If I can have X a certain relationship with a certain person and get that going, then I'll be happy. And the list can go on and on and on. But the researchers in positive psychology tell us that that's backwards, that it, when you buy into the, when you develop happiness, when you cultivate an attitude of happiness and contentment, that's when your success is more likely to turn around. And in fact, the study on that shows that, let's see, 90% of our happiness and 75% of our success is based on just three things. And those three things are, one, your optimism level, two, your level of social support, and three, the ability to see stress as a challenge rather than a threat. Hmm, I'm hearing a theme here, aren't you? Okay, well, let's go ahead and jump into the ways to be happier. Specific strategies that you can start implementing this very day that it can increase your level of happiness. And of course, as I mentioned, there are more. We could talk for hours about ways, but this is a limited time podcast, so I'm going to keep it simple. All right, the first one is always have something to look forward to. I read a I read a quote by Helen Fagan, who is a Holocaust survivor and teacher, and she said, there are times when dreams sustain us more than facts. Interestingly enough, the research shows that just thinking about and anticipating a positive experience is almost as effective as doing the actual thing. For example, you get more mileage out of anticipating a vacation than actually going on it. Not to say you shouldn't go on it. I love vacations. But planning it, thinking about it, um, 
you know, there's been studies done on showing doctors, for example, pictures of their family on vacation or happy times in their lives. And just they, they, they've shown them this right before they go in to make a difficult diagnosis. And they have found that with the release of endorphins and what happens in the neurochemistry of our brains, when we think about positive things, they made a more accurate diagnosis. So, hey, mindset, there's really something to it. And we can build in positive thoughts by allowing the future to pull us forward by anticipating things, good things to come. That's number one. Number two is physical exercise. It's kind of funny that I should be talking about this because I've never been one to be a huge fan of um, of all the exercise. However, I do it. I discipline myself to do it regularly. And one of the reasons is because it oxygenates the brain. It makes me think better. It boosts endorphins. It combats depression which for some people is particularly helpful. But according to a new review of research about good moods and physical activity, people who work out even once a week, even for as little as 10 minutes a day, if, if you do just a little bit of exercise, it makes you more cheerful than those who never exercise. And it doesn't even designate what kind of exercise. The idea that you have to move, your body is designed and created to move and it's going to work better. Your brain's going to function better. You're going to feel better when you get moving. So, you know, whether I love that. Think about 10 minutes. Who can't go out for a 10 minute walk once a day? I mean, if you're serious about it, you can absolutely do it and it'll and you'll feel better for it. And I can testify to that. Number three is appreciation. Everybody likes to be appreciated. Now, this is a simple way that you can contribute to the happiness of the people you work with. This is a specific, measurable way you can contribute to the positive culture of your work community. I often cite the research of Losada, who has a diagram called the Losada line that he says that it takes three positive comments or compliments to counterbalance or counteract one negative one. And that's just to maintain equilibrium in your work culture. If you want a positive, flourishing, health, healthy culture, you have to have it be a ratio of five to one. Well, you can make it better by catching other people doing something right. You can also smile at other people. Sometimes just smiling at people can make a big difference. And it benefits you when you do it because it causes a release of endorphins when you smile and you can, you don't even have to feel like it. You can just do it because it's good for you. Kind of like exercise. You don't have to feel like, like it, just do it because it's good for you. Oh goodness. This will make you have a day, every day be a better day. Number four is to spend at least 30 minutes a day doing something you love. Now, there's an interesting study from the Mayo Clinic that found that physicians who spend about 20% of their time doing work they find most meaningful are at dramatically lower risk for burnout than those physicians who don't strategically make time to work in their zone. That's what I call it. Being in your zone. When you're in your zone, you're doing your favorite things. 
But here's what's fascinating about that study from Mayo Clinic. Anything beyond the 20% has a marginal impact. Like if you spend 50% of your time doing the most meaningful work, it's not necessarily making you happier than if you spend just 20%. So in other words, you don't need to change everything about your job to see substantial benefits. A few changes here and there might be all that you need to be a lot happier. Number five is to implement the 20-second rule. Okay, so think about this at work. Think about making it easy to do things that are healthy and good for you. Uh, for example, maybe at lunch, and, and a lot of people work through lunch. A lot of people take their lunches and work at their desk through lunch. That is not healthy. What if you take your comfortable shoes, put them under your desk, and set your reminder on your phone that it 1210, you're going to put on those shoes and go for a 10 minute walk. If you make it 10 minutes and not say, I'm going to bring my gym clothes. I'm going to go to the gym over lunch, take an hour and a half and have to take a shower before I come back. That's a lot less happy. I mean, it's a lot less likely to happen <laughs> than if you walk for 10 minutes. So how can you build healthy habits into your day to make it easy to choose the right things. And, and if you want to learn more about this, I strongly recommend it, the book James Clear wrote called Atomic Habits. It talks at length about how willpower, people think that they're just going to have the ability to resist temptation to do the unhealthy things, to sit at your desk and eat a donut instead of walking for 10 minutes, for example. But the willpower is not like a muscle. Willpower actually can get fatigued. And that's why you want to make it easy for yourself to make good choices. That's where the 20 second rule comes in. Number six is to be grateful. It's really interesting that research even describes the relationship between joy and gratitude as an upward spiral, an intriguing upward spiral. I like that. Simply taking the time to be grateful every day, to have an attitude of gratitude. And that is a mindset. It is an intention. It is a habit that you can develop. Anybody can develop it. And being grateful over being gripey, uh, choosing to look for the good instead of fall falling into the whining category, uh, it is a it is a, an immensely important strategy for being happier at work and in life. And last but not least, I'm going to mention the investment in building relationships is really really key. Um. Life is like a mirror. We get the best results when we smile at it, but those relationships that um, really encourage us and help us, I, I talk about those people being like mirrors in our life, people that share values, people that are comfortable to be with. We also need windows in our life. That's a whole nother subject. Those are the people that stretch us and challenge us and provoke us to think. But everybody needs healthy relationships. In fact, do you remember out of the three most uh, critical things you can do to be positive and successful. One of them was having 
social support. And that doesn't mean a big Instagram account or a lot of Facebook followers. What that means is having people that you trust, that you can talk to, that you can share emotions with, that you can enjoy good times with, that you can laugh with and have fun with. All of those things happen in the climate of healthy relationships. Brene Brown states, we need happy moments in our lives. However, I'm growing more convinced that the pursuit of happiness may get in the way of deeper, more meaningful experiences like joy and gratitude. And she gives the example of parenting. Parenting. She talks about how making children happy in the moment is not always what leads them to developing deeper joy, grounded confidence, and meaningful connection. And I share that quote with you just to encourage you with the fact that obviously not all of us are going to feel happy all the time. We shouldn't expect to, but the pursuit of having more happiness at work, more happiness in our life will lead to a life of, of meaning and fulfillment. And, you know, really that brings me to the last point. It, I didn't make it one of the seven, seven because it's just so deep. It deserves a whole episode on itself. And that is the satisfaction and happiness that comes from knowing your purpose in life. I I believe there's a quote by Thoreau that says something to the effect of um, the, the most important day in my life was when I was born, but the happiest day was when I found out why I was born. Um, I'm not sure I quoted that correctly, but the The gist of it is knowing what your purpose is, is a deep connection to fulfillment and lifelong happiness. And I actually do have a heart plan course. That's what it's called. The heart plan course, knowing what your heart is speaking to you, what, what your heart, uh, the DNA written on your heart, what you're designed to do, man, is it, it's a deep journey. It's a worthwhile journey. And it, has very exciting and rewarding results. Before I close, I want to mention that I'd love to offer to the listeners of this podcast a free audio book, my book. It's called Win From Within, The Heart of Success and Significance. That book is available in print on Amazon. You can order it online or you can get the free audio version of it by going to beverlyspeaks.com forward slash free book. That's all there is to it. Just put in your name and you're going to get access to the streaming of the book. I, jo- I It was a great joy to record it for you. It is not sold on uh, Amazon as an auto audible book. It is just for you. So hope you avail yourself of that. And last but not least, I want to leave you with a couple of thoughts. It was C.S. Lewis who said, don't let your happiness depend on something you may lose. And I often think of that quote that says, don't put your, don't put the key to your happiness in someone else's pocket. And then it was Dennis Waitley who said, happiness cannot be traveled to, owned, earned, worn, or consumed. Happiness is the spiritual experience of living every minute with love, grace, and gratitude. And that is my wish for you today, that you will learn to live your moments with love, grace, 
and gratitude, but I'm glad to be on this journey of the high road with you. Thanks for being here today. The best is yet to come.